Well, hello and welcome back to Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight. We are the retro talk show where we look back and remember and talk about and discuss all the good things of the baby boomer years, the golden years of television, books, magazines, movies, celebrities, some political stuff, components, TV sets, radios, and just about everything in between. I am so happy to be here today. I'm Mike. I'm Smitty. I'm George. And we have a packed, jam-packed show coming up over the next 30 minutes or so. So sit back and enjoy and go back in time and listen in as George Halalakos, our Galaxy Good Guy, shares some things that he's come up with in the past few months. George, welcome back to the show. Always a pleasure to be with you, Mike, and with Gilbert. It's been really fun uh, to think about this because it's a touchstone for, I think, a good many of us of our generation. And I would ask you both, as well as all the members of our listening audience, about remembering handwritten letters, handwritten thank you cards, pen pals. Uh, These are now becoming very rare commodities uh, in this era of emails and electronic communication. And so I thought what I'd like to do here is to take a few moments for us to talk about and reminisce about the significance of handwritten communication, about old letters, uh, not only as an exercise in in, uh, showing good penmanship, but also how we communicate and establish the bonds of friendship with those that we love, both near and far. Do you guys have any special memories about handwritten letters? Again, because all of us are very proficient in terms of using electronic communication, but we're also the generation where uh, the art of letter writing was an integral part of our uh, education, both personal and professional. I just, uh, George, I think we were probably on the tail end, probably, of the uh, the generations that certainly relied on handwritten letters and cards and, and things. I have memories of uh, my mother writing to my grandmother, and occasionally I would send a note to her also. And just uh, you'd receive a letter from a friend or a letter from a, a relative and uh, Back in those days before electronic communication, before the Internet, before an email became possible. And um, the telephone was still not really also, uh, you know, commonly used. It was used in case of something that was urgent. You had to make an urgent phone call. Otherwise, a letter, a handwritten letter. And uh, it was always a question of waiting, waiting on the postman to bring to bring the letter from whoever you were expecting or you waiting that you knew that the postman had taken your letter and it was on its way to whoever you were sending it to. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of waiting involved, which has all been all been eliminated now completely with electronic communication. Well, you mentioned something very interesting, Gilbert, that I had forgotten about. But that is that I remember back in the 1960s, uh, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, but my father, for business reasons, had a Los Angeles area code uh, number. And so what ended up happening was that if I wanted to dial the phone numbers of friends that lived a few blocks away, but maybe were just on the borderline of the calling zone, it would add up to a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, so I was yes. better off either going over personally <laughs> or sending a letter knowing that the letter might arrive uh, in the same day. Yeah, and yeah, And so exactly. this is something that was very crucial. How about you, Mike? Did you have that same experience? I have quite a bit of experience as the masterful letter writer when it comes to sending little quips and little suggestive notes to girls in my uh, fifth period math class. 
That seemed to be in junior high where all the pretty girls were. And I would go to the library because I was a geek. And uh, I would arm myself with books of famous love letters. And I would write little portions of those. And I remember one I wrote to a girl by the name of Susie Shipler. And she received, and it's probably very valuable nowadays because I signed my full name to it like a fool that I was. But I lifted this off a love letter Richard Burton had written to Elizabeth Taylor. And as I recall, it said, in her case, Susie, you don't realize, of course, how fascinating, beautiful you have always been and how strangely you have acquired and added in special and dangerous loveliness. This to a fifth grade girl. Uh, about two minutes later, I found myself in the boy's vice principal's office, having been turned in for excessive romantic letter writing. But I loved writing letters. Uh, I was a journalist by profession, so we did it old style with a typewriter that went bang, bang, click, click, bang, bang, or a fountain pen that had ink cartridges in it or a ballpoint pen. And me being left-handed, most of my writings were smeared but otherwise legible. You know, I'm one of these people who have lived in the glorious times of having handwritten stuff, having learned about email, but in between uh, just writing a letter, it could be to an aunt or a grandmother, a birthday card, and putting a stamp on it. And there's no better feeling when I grew up than to get something in the mail from someone, be it a cousin or a friend. Uh, do any of you here? No, you've got to be George. Come on. In uh, elementary school, LA Unified on Valentine's Day, everybody would have a lunch bag all the way around the room with their names on it, and everybody would bring their Valentines in yep. from George, from Mike. Well, George and I didn't write Valentines to each other, but <laughs> that's and those were written. Yes. Well, that wouldn't be seen today because everybody would text back and forth when the teacher wasn't looking. Exactly right. But I kept a lot of my writing, suitcases of stuff. When my brother and my mom and dad moved away. My two brothers moved with my mom and dad from L.A. to San Diego. And w like you say, that was a five-zone difference in the calling. It was 714 area code, and calling from 213 to 714 cost a lot of money. Oh, it did. So we wrote letters. I'd write letters to and from my mom. My brothers would write funny things back and forth to me, and I still have those. And those are among my most prized possessions. I wanted to share with you and the listening audience something rather personal, but what prompted me to come up with this topic for today was that I had a very dear friend of mine uh, of 44 years, that in the first 14 years of our friendship, it was largely a pen pal relationship, but uh, we came to know each other very deeply over the years. Our families became friends. Anyway, he passed away unexpectedly uh, less than a year ago, and I was asked to put together a tribute for him. And what was interesting to me, Gilbert and Mike, is in the course of 44 years, we had exchanged over 500 letters, wow. each of us. And it's interesting because those letters often included photographs, news clippings, and other mementos from our past. We would share everything. What are you doing now in school? What are you doing in your job? Where have you been? And it was literally a cavalcade of photographs, things now that we attach with, uh, you know, as, as an attachment, uh, a PDF or uh, JPEGs on your emails. This required a great deal of painstaking work. And I was reminded as I was preparing the tribute for my, for my beloved friend, what makes letters so compelling for both the sender and the recipient? Well, here's a number of items that I came up with. One is that a person is actually putting pen in hand onto paper, so it's a personal, physical act. 
requires thought. It requires consideration. The second, of course, is that you included all the aforementioned items you know, that I cited, photos, news clippings. The handwriting styles oftentimes will reflect your mood or your disposition at the time that you actually put pen to paper. It's a way of strengthening the bond between sender and recipient. And unlike emails that can be discarded with a simple delete key, um, not so easily done. There's a physical act required. And finally, as what uh, Mike Bragg noted, it travels a distance. It can be short. It can be a great distance. But if you think about it, particularly if you, for those of you that have pen pals around the world, as I have been blessed, you think about, wow, this letter has come, you know, 6,000 miles away. It's a place that I'd like to visit someday. So there's this, uh, this sense of wonderment about how a letter travels so great a distance. Yeah, George, and these points that you brought out are wonderful points. I think that uh, nowadays, you know, it's it's easy for any of us to get in front of the computer and tap out a little note, you know, and, and it's become a commonplace thing. It isn't something, I guess, perhaps at one time it might have been considered maybe rude or not thoughtful, but now, you know, everybody does it. This is the way things are done now. And you brought out a very good point because sometimes if I receive either a birthday card or I'll, sometimes I'll receive a thank you card or or even Christmas cards still, which we still send to each other. It's a special feeling to get something physical in your hands that you open and you see that somebody actually took the time to write and to write a thought or express their feelings. And it's still a very wonderful thing. And it's something that that's a carryover from the past. What's interesting about that is how technology has played a role in this. Of mm-hmm. course, now we have Skype. Uh, Mm -hmm. which allows us to have basically face-to-face contact across the computer screen. But I remember that uh, my godfather, uh, Chris Lambesis of Blessed Memory, he used to do something with me that uh, sort of provided the bridge between handwritten letters and Skype. And that is we would send to each other tape letters. Mm -hmm. We would use the – initially it was the small reel-to-reel recorders, but then we switched to cassette tapes uh, beginning in the late 1960s that allowed us to send actual tape letters to each other, and it might be right where you were. So as I maybe recounted to you both uh, during the uh, show prep earlier today, he would send me a letter, and I could hear the TV in the background. I'm saying, oh, my goodness, he's listening to the Rose Bowl. I I know what I was doing at that very moment. Or then he's walking out, and you can hear the sound of his footsteps on uh, snow and ice saying, well... It's a very, you know, cold winter day here in Boise, Idaho. So there's a sense of you are there, sometimes in the letters, but particularly so with the tape letters. Did either of you ever have the opportunity of exchanging tape letters with loved ones or friends? I briefly, it wasn't really with friends, but I I briefly did a tape exchange thing with someone who was also a, a collector in the radio and equipment related thing. Uh, a fellow back east, and we just got into the, well, let's send a tape. It'll be easier to just to verbalize, again, in the days before the Internet, before emails. So instead of tapping out a letter or handwriting letter, we pop a tape into the cassette player and just, uh, you know, have some notes and just, oh, you know, I've gotten this, and do you have that, whatever. And we did that for a while, maybe a few months, and then, you know, we, we, we kind of went back to to letter writing. 
but that's interesting, George, because that's a sort of a natural transition technology-wise. You went from you know handwriting to to recording on the little open reel tapes to cassettes, and and now we do that totally electronically through uh, email. And it seems that these letters are time capsules. They are, yeah. I believe that you know Doris Kern Goodwin who uh, recreated the period of 1861 to 1865, the Lincoln presidency, in her book, Team of Rivals, she was able to compile this book based upon extensive and voluminous handwritten letters between all of the men who comprised Mr. Lincoln's cabinet. Mm -hmm. And there are two other things that relate to uh, President Kennedy that I wanted to get Mike Bragg's thoughts on. One, of course, is that there's the famous uh, SOS that uh, Mr. Kennedy carved in his own hand on a coconut in the midst of World War II that was hand-delivered by a native Pacific Islander that led to the rescue of Mr. Kennedy and his uh, fellow uh, PT boat members that were stranded, uh, you know, due to, uh, you know, a combat accident that occurred. And then I recently saw a television program about a woman whose son had served with Mr. Kennedy uh, on PT-109, and he had written to her a series of letters that actually continued um, not only immediately after World War II, but during his years as a congressman, then as a senator, and also continued into his presidency. And it was verified that all of these letters, they were not... um, uh, done by someone else. They were actually done in the president's own hand. And it's become quite a, a, a time capsule. That's something that's rare. Mike, in your journalism career, what have you noted about the significance of, of handwritten letters in, in the manner that I've talked about here or otherwise? Well, as the thought process flows through the hand, from the brain, through the, through the heart and soul, it's a different type of, of feeling, a style, especially to read a handwritten letter mailed to you from someone where you hear their voice talking to you as you're reading this. Uh, I would also say that that's true. You read the letters and the memos of of Ernest Hemingway or JFK or anyone in history, Beethoven, Tolstoy, the interpretations. You read that and you hear the man talking or the woman or the person talking. I had a book of the writings of Winston Churchill and a lot of those were love letters to to Lady Clementine Churchill. And the uh, the emoting of love and respect and care, the best love letter of all time has been determined to have been written by Johnny Cash to June Carter Cash on her 65th birthday. And you just Google that and you'll see how simple and how direct and how heartfelt that was. And Johnny Cash, of course, he was a very raw, gritty, rough, tough guy with some history, but when it came to the love of his life, you re- look at that letter, and it's a copy. He wrote it in Denmark. I believe he was in co- on concert in the 90s to his wife. It's one page on some hotel stationery, and that speaks more volumes than any biography that could ever be written. I hope a lot of the stuff I've written someday will be read by by folks that are related to me down the line, grandchildren, and they will understand the type of person I was or I, that I, maybe that I still will be. I may not be in the present mentally, but physically, and they'll say, well, there he is, and this is what was going on in his head. I don't know if that can be done typing. 
Mm-hmm. And I've gone to so many writing classes as a student of journalism and as a teacher of journalism. And I remember a professor who told me at the University of Missouri, they would type their manuscripts. And it was a time when you could type your manuscripts or you could write them in longhand. And he would look at a manuscript that was typed, and he said, this is not writing, this is typing, and he'd throw it back in the face of the student. I thought that was precious. But there's a certain communication, a certain speak that comes forward when it comes from the hand to the pen to the ink or to the pencil lead. You've said something very profound that I want to share with Gilbert and get his thoughts on it. Uh, It concerns uh, a precious pet of mine. It was Goldie. It was my favorite cat growing up. And Goldie was a cat that was with me from junior high all the way through graduate school years and beyond. And uh, Goldie, um, like so many of our precious pets, uh, you know, eventually grew old and uh, he passed away. And my mother did something that I was not aware of until some years later. But my mother put pen to paper. And she described for me what it was like, uh, you know, in those final days, uh, you know, of, of taking care of Goldie, and then what it was like when he finally literally fell asleep in the Lord. And I remember that my mother put this, she put it in an envelope, and she gave it to me a few years later. And uh, it's something that I've kept with me. I keep it in my nightstand, and oftentimes I will read it, because I was so thankful to my mom for doing that, because I was traveling overseas at the time that it happened. And she put it down because she said, I think you might want to have this because Goldie was such an important part of our lives, you know, from you know being a small child to being, uh, you know, a working adult. And Gilbert, I, I don't know if, if you uh, experienced anything like that, but I think you, I know how close you are to your cats. Yeah. Um, you can appreciate what I've I just shared I can absolutely appreciate it. And thank you for sharing that with us, George. It's very moving. I, I When my, la- my last cat... Uh, uh, passed away a few years ago and I just uh, uh, felt compelled to grab a piece of paper and I just uh, kind of wrote down some thoughts I had at that moment and and uh, I have that and I had I, forgotten I'd done that and I stumbled across that paper the other day and I, and, and I read it and um, as you said George it's uh, whenever we read things like this they're actually little time capsules they're, they're moments in time mm-hmm. and, uh, and it is uh, it, it can be bittersweet to, to go back and read it, but uh, it certainly shows where our thoughts and where our our thinking was at that moment, you know, a moment of loss. But we we can put down into words what we feel, what, what's innermost in our hearts. And oftentimes it's not meant for anybody else to, to read except us, you know, or, mm-hmm. a very, or a very close loved one. So I certainly uh, empathize with you and I understand fully the significance of that note that your mom wrote. And, you know, it's interesting about this communication. Uh, Mike noted earlier, it comes from the very depth of our soul. You think about uh, two movies that paralleled each other. It was the subject of my uh, blog column in June. We talked about the movies Shop Around the Corner and then its updated remake, uh, You've Got Mail, Mm -hmm. in which the uh, protagonists form a relationship uh, through the art of being a pen pal. In in the first uh, case, Shop Around the Corner, it's through actual handwritten mail. In the second one, it's through cyberspace. Mm -hmm. But in both instances, there's a poignancy, there's a vulnerability that that comes forth. And I would ask you, Mike, because of your career, you know, with communications and so forth, do you think that we are losing that at all 
uh, or is it does it require a different skill set uh, to do so in the context of electronics? Well, uh, electrons are a little different than something coming from someone's heart, but uh, I will make a case in point. Do you remember how a handwritten letter would have a certain way the letter would start out that we don't use nowadays? A lot of times it would be, Dear so-and-so, I hope this letter finds you in the best of health. Yes. I trust you are feeling better than the last time we wrote. Or the the very age-old one is, uh, just thought I would drop you a line or two because I've been thinking about you. Mm-hmm. Well, nowadays you think about somebody and you put your pudgy little thumbs on the keyboard of your smartphone and you don't have time to think about them because you're shooting them a message, which I understand eight times out of ten you regret having sent if you're going through any type of emotional uh, turbulation at the time. But yes, George, it has changed because it's spontaneous, much like the media is spontaneous. We've had many, many shows, especially Smitty and I over the past five years, that have discussed uh, the degradation of broadcast media. For one reason, the corporations have taken over news gathering and distribution and the sponsors, but the most important reason is that news moves so fast. Something can happen, and there's 15 people with their smartphones documenting it on TV. It's on the first newscast of the day. It never had time to simmer out and gain semblance of order or logic. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there is any there there anymore. It's just too fast. A letter written, and I have wrote letters. I, I wrote handwritten letters all the way up till I was in my 30s. It took time to sit down and get the paper out and get your pencil sharpened or your pen, your good pen, and make sure you had a stamp and make sure that your envelope was the same size as the stationery. It was preparation. There's absolutely zero preparation nowadays. The preparation is taking the phone out of your shirt pocket and hoping your boss doesn't see you as you type away, especially the weird codifications now in texting. OMG, LSMFT, dot, 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 SC2UICU2, whatever that means, and stuff like it. It probably makes more sense than some of the texts I get, but it's just too spontaneous, too quick, too thoughtless. So there. It just seems like letter writing is uh, kind of a lost art, but there are still a few people who do it, but certainly something that we want to remember from that time period. And, uh, George, we sure thank you for sharing that and some of your most inner innermost thoughts on, on that. Very, very moving. Well, we're going to have a retro commercial, and then we'll be right back with the second part of our program, and actually the closing part of our program. We're going to have a book review for you on a very interesting book that our good buddy George checked out. So stand by. We'll be right back with you. This is the Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. Soon you'll be able to walk into your Admiral dealer's store and confidently buy the style radio or radio phonograph you want. The selection of Admiral radios will be complete. There'll be radio phonographs with the famous Admiral exclusive features. Slider weight that makes loading and unloading your record changer so easy. And the foolproof Admiral automatic record changer. There'll be consoles and table models and newly designed cabinets of fine woods and modern plastics. There'll be farm sets and portables in many styles and sizes, including the popular Admiral Bantam, the camera-type radio that operates on alternating current, direct current, or self-contained batteries. There'll be new electronic refinements and AM, FM, and shortwave reception. And now about television. 
Admiral's extensive research assures television receivers with true Admiral quality. So, whatever you want in radio, you'll find it in an Admiral, America's smart set. A real quick note on that commercial. It's obviously a commercial that came out during World War II because radio and television receivers were not made during that time period, and that was from Admiral, the Admiral Corporation probably from circa 1944, getting close to the end of the war, maybe 40, late 44, early 45. Welcome back to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside here on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. I'm Gilbert Smitty-Smith, along with my good buddies Mike Bragg and George Halalakos. We have a book review that our good buddy George Halalakos has uh, done. He read a book, and he's going to tell us all about it right now, a book that you may be interested in reading. George, tell us all about it. This is a book titled Short and Sweet, The Life and Times of the Lollipop Munchkin. And this is an autobiography of Jerry Marin. And Jerry, of course, not only played in the iconic movie The Wizard of Oz, but when you review his life and his career, he is what you would call the Forrest Gump of his era, uh, in that he has served as a touchstone for so many childhood memories that we have of all generations. It goes well beyond The Wizard of Oz. It includes Buster Brown, uh, the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile, Mayor McCheese and the gang, H&R Puffin Stuff, guest appearances on Andy Williams, as well as uh, appearances on Star Trek in the classic Journey to Babel episode. Uh, his friendship with other well-known little people such as Billy Barty and Harry Monty, plus recurring appearances on Romper Room. What I want to recommend to everyone here uh, in the Galaxy Nostalgia audience is that this book that was published in 2008 by Cumberland House is a wonderful, wonderful biography because it's not just a tell-all, gossipy account that we have come to expect from Hollywood, but rather it is by a person who has lived an inspired life. It is one who offers uplifting testimony about being able to not only live a blessed life, but also to make a positive difference for others, both in your profession and in your personal life. Mr. Marin obviously comes across as a person of integrity, of dignity, but most of all, love. And as you read this beautiful account, you are brought into his inner circle of family and friends, but without the minutiae that is so often characteristic of these biographies. Mike Bragg, any thoughts you have about this remarkable man? And truly remarkable. This is a man who built a stunning and lucrative, a very valuable career. When I say valuable, I mean valuable to the people who watched his work. And the interesting part about Jerry Merritt was that he's an average guy. Not of average height, but he was an average guy that was about three and a half feet tall. He never took a handout. He worked very, very hard for his career. He's now at the ripe age of 95 years old. He was he never shied away or blew off his fans. He was always there. I personally met him. I guess I had to be seven or eight years old, and he was Oscar Mayer with the Wienermobile at the grand opening of the Shoppers Market in Highland Park. And he was there with Engineer Bill and the Whistle Stop game where all the kids lined up all the way around this supermarket, and they had a chance to pull a lever. And if the lever went... Woo-woo, instead of <clears throat> you want something nice. If not, you want a little metal cricket thing. But I remember how excited I was to see Oscar Mayer, little Oscar himself, in the Wienermobile. 
And that was my recollection. Of course, he also dressed up. He was the guy in the middle in the green shorts that issued Dorothy her lollipop as an honorary member of the Lollipop Guild. We cannot forget that. You know, I remember getting one of those lollipops at Disneyland, and I said, this is the kind of ad, the Lollipop Guild. I got it home, dropped it on my mom's carpet, and had fuzz on it. It never tasted the same. But you never forget scenes like that. He also played... Um, he was the Hamburglar in McDonald's commercials. Little do people know. He had a lot of other roles besides. And he was not the Philip Morris guy. That was another guy. That was Johnny, yeah. That was Johnny. That was Johnny. We're talking about Jerry. <laughs> but I remember so much nostalgia and so many memories associated with that man. If you go back and we go back, it was about the year, I'm a little, old, little older than you, it was about the year I was at USC Film School, 73, he was in a movie called The Little Cigars. Yes. And they were gangsters. Yes. And it was the cutest movie, but it was real. It was tough guys, no more than four feet tall. But Jerry's wrote an interesting book. I have a copy. I'm halfway through it. I'm glad you finished it in time for airtime here. Short and sweet. You don't want to miss the book. What I would say to our audience is that this is a man whose stability in a volatile and unforgiving business reflects strength of character and seriousness of purpose. And you're going to love the cavalcade of photographs. You're going to feel like you're looking at a family album. So please take a look at this book. Uh, You're going to come away with a smile on your face, as all of us have. Well, you know what? We're going to start bringing more and more book reviews to you as a result of requests by our listeners and the folks on Facebook. So if you have a book that you would like us to take a look at or know of a book or somebody that's written a book about the golden times of the baby boomer years, please let us know. You can email us at galaxymoonbeamnightsite, that's S-I-T-E at gmail.com. We prefer you to be our friend on Facebook because then we get to see how everybody's doing. We, we love chatting even during the week. Uh, Smitty puts his fingers in the dial of his computer, and magic becomes Electra. George, I'm so glad you joined us today. We really hate to say goodbye, but it's that time that we have to say adieu, adios, a feeder zane, and bye-bye. Join us again on a future episode coming soon, another segment coming right down at you of Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside. Until then, I'm Mike. I'm Smitty. And I'm George. And we'll be talking to you again really soon right here on Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. This is the Galaxy Nostalgia Network.